Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Analog Sticks podcast. I am your host, Rusty, joined by my good friend, Cody. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing pretty good. Um, this this means I'm the co-host, right? Yes, you are the co-host. I should have made that more clear. This is my first time doing a podcast. Both of our first times doing a podcast, I believe. Yeah, yeah it's going to so. be great. So yeah, cut us some slack. Probably gonna talk over each other a bunch. Maybe maybe make a bunch of mistakes. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. But our goal here on this podcast is going to be essentially summarizing and talking about games we've heard of and or liked. Um, whether it's new, old, or just something weird we stumble into, we're gonna talk about it, and that's the goal of this whole thing. Um, looking forward to it. And today. With our first episode, we're covering a game that is something we've both dabbled in, I would say. Maybe a little more than that, in mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. Now, Cody, what was what was the first thing you want to say about Breath of the Wild? The first thing I want to say about Breath of the Wild. To me, it, as an open world game, it is the first open world game that was the way, you know, child me envisioned it. You know, you get so many games on the on the old GameCube or Xbox where you get to explore a bit, but really, you're kind of within this limited area. It blew my mind when I first played Breath of the Wild, and you literally could just go anywhere. So you're saying that this is almost what you thought Wind Waker was, but it's... So this is what you're saying. When you were playing Wind Waker, mm-hmm. you had the same feeling, but now it's like, oh, this is actually what I thought. That's a great way of yeah. putting it. Like, you thought you were in this big, expansive world, but Wind Waker... I mean, it's a great game, but it's nothing like Breath of the Wild. Yeah, you go back to it, and you realize, oh, it's just a lot of little maps with very much traveling in between. Linear and all that stuff, and the travel's slow in that game. Oh my god. It's fun stuff. But yeah, uh, before we dive into the, really the story, the summary, all that stuff, I want to tell you a little bit about me. Um... I have a little bit of a speedrunning background. I did Wind Waker, Spyro, A Hero's Tale. We'll probably cover that at some point. Um, And some Breath of the Wild, as a matter of fact. Um, But other than that, I just do pest control. (laughs) Um, That is my full-time job, and it pays the bills. But yeah, Cody, you want to tell them a little bit about you? Hello, I'm Cody, a longtime gamer ever since I was a very small child. Uh, Right now, I'm a student uh, in for education and technology, it's very broad. Um, and for money, I work at Target. Yep, gotta pay the bills somehow, whether we want to feed into the corporations or not. <laughs> Alright, uh, so without any further delays, I have prepared what we're calling a little burn. Um, I stole this idea straight from one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Talking Yanks with John Boy Media. But yeah, we're going to get into the burn of Breath of the Wild. Here we go. Our latest Hylian adventure starts with Link, much like anyone who's drank too much, being gently told to wake up after an overly long snooze. Apparently, though, this hero peaked in high school as he's hanging out on a great plateau with an old man. And just like when the power goes out at your grandparents' house, the old guy tells you to do some puzzles for a treat. And then Link, much like Sugar Ray, just wants to fly all the way to Kakariko Village, in fact, to see Impa to fix his iPad before heading off to repair some robots. These next parts come in whatever order you want, but we'll start with the area that seems the most fishy to me as we head to the Zora's Domain to fix the elephant divine beast, who wants to make sure we've all felt the cold November rain. Once we take care of the creatively named Water Blight Ganon, we'll head north, and I hope you don't fear the Reaper, because we're off to Death Mountain, the scorching hot home of the Gorons who are being terrorized by a lizard divine beast, who, much like any stupid teenager, is throwing rocks down from above. Anyways, you take care of the also creatively named Fire Black Ganon and head west to Rito Village, and much like a bad Orioles team, the birds are having a rough go of it. Now we make our way through the sky to take out Wind Black Ganon in the Bird Divine Beast, then head to the south. The ladies in Gerudo Town are being thunderstruck by a camel creating a Darude sandstorm. Once we take out the aptly named Thunder Black Ganon, we're off to Hyrule Castle to take care of the man himself, Calamity Ganon. After a lame boss fight, here comes the sun. No, wait, that's Giselda sealing away the evil man for the win. (laughs) Okay, that was chaos. (laughs) That was terrible, but I loved it, and I hope you do that for every game. That's the plan as of now. We'll see... If any listeners like it, if anyone says they don't, I'm probably going to scrap it right away. 
Um, but yeah, that's just... Granted, there's a lot more to the story than what I just said, but that's just a quick summation of the things that we're going through in this game. It's the four main areas. It's what you do. I mean, there's a lot I didn't mention. First thing I can think of is the Yiga clan, that whole stealth section. Um, there's 120 shrines. The whole thing with the Korok forest. There, there's a lot of cool stuff in this game. What, what are your standout moments? Oh, standout moments. It'll come to me. I'm, I'm going through it all. Ooh, I have a good one. Oh, let me hear it. So, the first time I ever really had to face a Lionel, and for any listeners <laughs> who don't know, the Lionels in this game are, um, they're basically big buff centaurs. Some of the hardest enemies in the game that you can encounter. They're rather difficult. And when you're just starting out, it's almost guaranteed death, unless you're a Souls player or something. I remember the first time I played a Lionel, I, um... I got behind, I got in a tree stump where the Lionel couldn't get me and threw bombs at it for like 45 <laughs> minutes until it died. The bombs only deal like 10 damage and the Lionels have like a thousand plus health. I don't know the exact number, but that was, that was a fun moment. That's Russ for you. Immediately finds a way to cheese it. Oh yeah, it worked. I worked. I got, I got Lionel gear when I had no business having Lionel gear, which is really <laughs> nice. Um, that is another thing though. In this game, you can get any weapon... From the start, other than the Master Sword, you technically need 13 hearts to get that. But you can get any gear if you're good enough to get it, which is an amazing concept that we hadn't really seen in any games before this. And mm -hmm. when I was walking around with that 93 damage Lionel Sword when I'd just gotten off the Great Plateau, I was feeling pretty good. Hmm. You know, I've actually never reset the game and started over. I've always been on the same save, but that kind of makes me want to reset and see... What can I do straight off the bat? Because, you know, I, I've played enough to be fairly good at it just on my own. You know, not needing all those endgame tools and armor that you get. Yeah, one time, actually right after I beat the game, I think, I went back and did a master mode playthrough where enemies regenerate mm. and all that. And I just went did the Great Plateau and then went straight to each of the Divine Beasts. I almost did exactly what I read off in the bird. I just went through it. And kind of, I struggled. Thunderblade again and kicked my ass, for lack of a better term. And it was, I'll tell you, the gratification I got when I finally did beat the game with three hearts was amazing. Granted, I had all the tools I needed, I just needed to not get killed, which is kind of the hard part there. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot you can do in this game, obviously. It I is. mean, you can go through the whole thing, 120 shrines, the 900 Korok seeds. You can sink hundreds of hours into this game with ease i think we've both done that something i like to do is just completely ignore the actual game and just mess around with the physics engine oh yeah if it's i find great. the right yeah if i find the right stuff um you know there's some there's plenty of fantastic glitches like the one where you um magnetize that metal rail cart you can just fly across the world oh yeah the, the the flying machine glitch i think they call it there's also the whole thing with the bullet time mechanic and the bullet time bounces and the bomb impact launches and all that fun stuff oh yeah that's can, more that's more your expertise. oh you can zip through the game so quickly it's so much fun but this game the engine is i think it's one of the most revolutionary things we've seen in gaming in 40 years whatever it may be it's robust it, it's so everything reacts and interacts with each other so smoothly that i forget how much work would have to go into that to make sure everything works you know if they i think i was um i was watching some kind of interview where they were talking to the developers and they're saying how the tough part is if they wanted to add something um some kind of new mechanic suddenly they have to go down the list of every single game mechanic or item that they have to make sure that the thing they want to add interacts with everything and works well. It almost makes sense why they've had to delay the sequel so long. Speaking of, I am very excited for that sequel. Oh, <laughs> dude. But New powers? Oh, it's going to be insane. Back to the physics engine, though. There are a couple things. You can use any metal object to conduct electricity as you would in real life. And one of the shrines requires you to do something with switches to make electricity work. But... 
I, with my wacky brain, decided that was too much work and I was just going to take every weapon and drop it and pick it up and drop it and pick it up until it lined up right to channel the electricity across the thing without me having to do the whole puzzle. It probably took me much longer than it would have taken, but with this physics engine, there's no one way to solve any problem. You can do things however you'd like, and odds are you're going to get rewarded for it whether it took more time or not. That's really the only thing that comes down to. Um, but yeah, with that... I think I think we completely glossed over the story really. I would like to kind of go back and I mean uh -huh. I went I went through the burn and just looking I mean the great plateau for a tutorial area what are your kind of thoughts on the great plateau? That is such a good little tutorial. It is a great way to be introduced because the world can be so big and scary especially if you're a casual gamer like me, you know, I'm not ready to just go out and fight big stuff and die a lot. So having this, I would call it a little playground, you know, where you get to just mess around with the game without really many consequences. Uh, I think it's a great place to start and a great place to get going on a game as big as Breath of the Wild. It almost gives you that Mario 64 kind of sandbox feel, except there is a little bit of everything you're going to see in the world. I mean, there's the cold area that teaches you all those mechanics. I mean, I wouldn't say there's a ton of lightning and, like, magnets and all that stuff. Just magnets. That, that's mm -hmm. all. But, like, <laughs> there is a little bit of everything to kind of get you, dip your toe in the water before they throw you off the edge of the plateau, quite literally. And that's another thing that they handle really well is when they, when you finish the tutorial, you get the paraglider, you're allowed to leave the plateau. They kind of give you a direction to go in and say, hey, if you want to go over there, you're going to be rewarded, but you can do whatever you want. And that's kind of the whole push towards Kakariko Village and that Impa plot line with the remaining Sheikah oh, yeah. and all that. I remember when, before the game came out, all the trailers had this old guy that you met on the plateau who helped get you started. You know, he would tell you what to do to start getting your powers or whatever. And there is so much mystery about who this old guy was. I genuinely thought it would be Ganon. That was, besides, <laughs> besides the king, right? I, I think the second most popular theory was that it was Ganon. Uh, yeah, no, I I had I did not experience this game, actually, until you moved back from Denver. When was that, 17? 18? 2018. 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, that summer you came back and you popped in. You had your Switch. And I, I was on the fence about buying a Switch. At this point, I was still in my angsty, uh, Nintendo's for kids. Hadn't gotten <laughs> over that. I was playing Call of Duty and, like, sports games and stuff, thinking I was cool before I realized I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to play Zelda. Um, and you had your Switch, and I was on the fence about buying one. I'd seen them at GameStop, and I was kind of like, ooh, should I get it? It's only $300, whatever it was. And at the time, I had the money to actually spend on that. Um, you handed me the Switch and said, yeah, just, just mess around with it. I opened your save file outside of Hyrule Castle and was instantly swarmed with like <laughs> 8,000 guardians. I used through Daruk's protection in like two seconds. I'm like, this is my favorite game ever. And... <laughs> I played for all of five minutes, died a few times, and you're like, dude, you're, you're just dying. Get, go somewhere easier. I'm like, no, this is fun. And you're like, just go somewhere <laughs> easier. And I didn't. I gave your Switch back, and a month or two later, I went and bought it, and I this game, it, it was just as much fun as I had when I was playing your copy. Yeah, tangential fun fact. When the Switch first came out, um, the, Legend, the Legend of Zelda was such a console seller that the game was actually outselling the Switch itself because there weren't enough Switches, but there were enough copies of the game. So even me, I was a part of this group. I bought the game before I ever bought the Switch because I knew that's all I wanted to do with the Switch. And I know that they were hard to come by when you were when they first released. That's uh, why- It took months. Yeah, no, I saw one in March of 17, I think it was, when they first launched in a GameStop at a mall in Charlotte. I was visiting some friends down there, and I'm like, oh, should I get it? I know it's new. I see one in stock. I could go get it. Everybody's having a hard time. I stayed on the fence for another year and a half, because, you know, that's that's me. You just um, waited long enough. To yeah, exactly. And I still have one of the ones where if I wanted to go in and do all the mods and all that, I could, which is nice, but not sure. We'll We'll see about that down the line maybe like when the wii became easy to mod maybe that distance of time i don't know but yeah that was one of my that was my first memory of the game was just getting lit up by guardians and the remnants of castle town outside there 
It, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I will Ooh. say. <laughs> Mind if I tell you my first experience playing it? Then I would love to hear your. Every, everyone remembers their first time, right? <laughs> of for course. Me, it it was almost four months of constant searching for a switch. I was on the websites. I was like, I was. You checking... might have asked what song was playing for your first time. What song? Yeah. No song. Fair. I do fair. it quietly. Yeah, whatever, whatever uh, what's his name, Koji Kondo, is that the music director? I believe it is. Whatever he had cooked up for you was the first song. That little that little tune, the piano tune. No, what is it? It's, it's a brass instrument when you first walk out in that scene where you're looking over Ooh. the whole world. Oh, it's so beautiful. But Just yeah, like in the trailer. I blatantly interrupted you as you were saying your first ex- You yeah. were looking for a switch. <laughs> you were looking for a switch. I finally found one. I you know ran to the target. I did the thing a lot of people did. I was like, "Oh, where's the switch?" And the employees are like, "Oh, stop asking us." <laughs> but this time, someone actually had one, and they were like, "Let me check the back. There's one more left." Oh, thank God, I got to take it home, and I I was hugging that thing all the way home. <laughs> one hand on the steering wheel, the other one tightly holding it to my body. You as didn't if just it could tuck be it in the seatbelt. I would have oh. just tucked it in the seatbelt. No, I, I was a better seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. But so at the time, we had a little basement, so hooked everything up. I, I had no patience. I mean, as soon as I got home, I was like, sorry, guys, dinner is not happening. I'm not eating. I'm going to be playing. No sleep. School tomorrow? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I did go to school. But fired that bad boy up, and it was just the beginning of a beautiful experience for the next three or four months getting through all that what's the first thing you remember just like the standout moment when you first that first night when you didn't sleep at all what was the first thing you remember that was like geez this game is crazy or like oh my god what am i going through here so i was i was hyped and i was i was playing through it it was an amazing time but it was as good as i was expecting it you know but the first thing that really blew me away was entering the water area, Zora's Domain. There's this beautiful, serene music that plays. Everything has this beautiful blue and purple sheen surrounding it. And this winding path finally gets you into Zora's Domain, big city that all the fish people live in. And it's just amazing. The design for it is otherworldly. I think it stands out from any other area within the game, personally. Oh yeah, and from even from previous Zora's Domain, what they did with that area was just really impressive. I mean, you look at Twilight Princess or mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time, those are essentially just caves with a little bit of architecture on the inside. In Ocarina of Time, I don't think there's any architecture on the inside, so it was really a sight to see. And that was the first proper Zora's Domain we got in a while, right? I do believe so. I'm trying to think back. I mean, uh, Link Skyward Between Sword Worlds had didn't have one. Skyward Sword barely had any areas outside of Skyloft, and... After that, you're going back to Twilight Princess, which was a decade before Breath of the Wild came out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this was the first Zora's Domain we'd seen in a while. I mean, if we're going to touch on the areas, the first one I went to uh, after Kakariko Village, mm-hmm. I just ended up like, ooh, what's over there? Ooh, shiny, what's that? And I wound up in the desert. I was right outside the stable. I remember my first Blood Moon hit, and I had no clue what was oh, going on. Man. I thought I was getting swarmed <laughs> by a thousand enemies all at once. I'm, like, panicking, running around, and I'm like, oh, this is the same exact way it was before that cutscene happened. Like, I, my first Blood Moon was as soon as I walked into Kakariko, and I was flipping out because I thought that <laughs> triggered it, and like, there was going to be a boss battle or something. <laughs> I was like, I am not ready for this. And you're just, like, in the village. Everybody's like, oh, hey, what's going on, dude? <laughs> That, it ruined it for me. The village is supposed to be this nice, safe space. But for the next, like, week I was playing, I'd walk in there kind of nervous every time. <laughs> like, oh, what's going to kill me this time? But, you yeah, know, and then after that, I did make it to Gerudo Town. I died, like, ten times to, like, the two Lizalfos that are in between the stable and Gerudo Town. Uh, I ended up buying the thing. And I, I was really impressed with the way they laid out Gerudo Town. I was like, this is... A bigger, bigger than any town we'd seen in any Zelda games. I mean, mm-hmm. even compared to Castle Town and Hyrule Village or Windfall Island, I'm like, this is really impressive, and I feel like this is just one of the side villages. Yeah, compared. most I feel like most towns in most Zelda games, they feel, they almost feel more like Disney World sets to me. You know, they have yeah. just enough buildings to make it a quote unquote town. Gerudo Village is the first one I've been to where it felt like an entire planned out city even if it was tiny it's a it square all, there's yeah. infrastructure <laughs> it all just 
flowed together so well. Oh, yeah, and I remember I saw the big rock, and I'm like, I think I can climb that. I bet you I can climb that, and I did and found a Korok seed, and I'm like, this is so cool. They got something around every corner. But, you know, the... Uh, and the whole thing with the cross-dressing to get in was just phenomenal. <laughs> that's a, that's an underrated part of the story. I feel like it gets its fair share of uh, internet love due to some weird people out there, you know, if it exists. But, uh, yeah, I remember going through that, and the first boss I fought was Thunderblight Ganon. If you've played the game, you oh, know no. that's a mistake. I think I had probably 30 deaths before I went there. I talked to you later that day, actually, the next day, whenever it was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, dude, I want to Thunderblade again, and this game's so hard. I can't believe I got this. I don't know if I'm going to make it through. And you're like, dude, you went to the hardest part first. Yeah. <laughs> and I went to school the next day, and there were a bunch of kids in my school who played uh, Smash Bros. for Wii U in the lounge. And I saw they had the copy of Wii U Breath of the Wild. I'm like, oh, dude, that game is so hard. He's like, that game is actually pretty easy. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, dude, I was playing last night. I died like 30 times. So difficult. He's like, I beat it on Master Mode like nothing. I'm like, well, you don't have to one-up me. I'm having fun. But yeah, I remember It's that. important to say those guys, though, at our school, they, um, they were competitive Smash players. So for them, the bar for what is easy and hard is far above ours. Yeah, no, it's it's... They were, as you say, god gamers or something like that. They were really good, but yeah, they, they made me feel bad about myself. And then I went on to go to Zora's Domain next, and I was like, oh, this game's not actually all that hard. Then I just faced the hardest part, like everybody else said. Um, but yeah, I had those same experiences with uh, the Zora's Domain. I gotta say, honestly, with these dungeons, before we get any farther... I'm underwhelmed with the insides of the Divine Beasts, but getting to them was probably some of the coolest experiences I've had on any game yeah. whatsoever, let alone on the Switch or even Zelda games. Um, I, I think, looking back, even now, um, if we want to talk about the Zelda games in terms of their balance between dungeons and exploration, nothing has beaten Ocarina of Time so far. I think Breath In terms of, the Wild, of dungeons? In terms of the balance between dungeons okay, and exploration, okay. Breath of the Wild, incredible game. The best exploration in any Zelda game. But it is so much... The, the, the scales are tipped more towards that exploring than the dungeons in that game. You only 1, get four big dungeons, and those dungeons are honestly kind of small. They almost remind me of Game Boy, like the Game Boy called the Oracles games dungeons, where it's yeah. like, yeah, solve some puzzles, there's some enemies here and there, but the main thing is you gotta figure out how to get through. It's not, yeah, go through this gauntlet of enemies, there's a couple puzzles, it's just straight puzzles. But when you're doing that thing where you're on the sand seals to get into, uh, what is it? Varudanya, no, Varudanya is the lizard, what's the name? Oh my gosh, the camel. The Gerudo camel, I can't remember. I'm gonna look back and like, and Naboris, Von Naboru. Mm -hmm. um, the thing where you're going through, you got the thunder helm, you gotta stay in the little dome so you don't get zapped. And you're shooting the bomb arrows at the feet. That was like nerve wracking. I was on edge, heart rates up the whole thing. And with Sidon, you're riding on him to get to the Varuda. You're doing the thing where you shoot up the waterfalls mm -hmm. and trying to hit the things with the electric arrows. I was amazed. Um, and the I one still more don't know. So getting those those ice blocks when you're up in the water area, I still don't mm -hmm. know if I ever do that right. I feel like I always barely make it oh you just gotta yeah, the motion controls make it so much easier mm. it's yeah that i think so i started out without motion controls because for most games i'm worse with them but with breath of the wild um i just wasn't quite getting it until i turned on motion controls it's the only game where my gameplay improved using them. I feel like Mario, most Switch games, honestly, if it's a Nintendo first-party game, they have the motion controls in mind, and they play really mm -hmm. well. Like, Mario Odyssey, I feel, is almost unplayable without the Joy-Cons and the motion oh, controls. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, strictly because of the control cappy there. But we'll get the Mario Odyssey on another day. But yeah, no, with the motion controls, it just makes the gameplay so much more smooth. And then uh, with Vometo, the bird... When you're doing that thing where you're on the paraglider and you gotta shoot the turrets to get in, it's these are all amazing experiences. I didn't really care for the catapults with uh, Yanobo getting into Varudanya, the lizard. Oh um, yeah, he just made me mad because he was scared of the guardians, and I'm like, dude, you're killing me. You it can was, sneak um, past them. It was an escort mission. <laughs> yeah, it, that was that was pretty lame, but 
even still i'd say actually i think i had the most fun in that dungeon because the whole fire elements but even still all the dungeons they kind of blend together the insides of the divine beast mm -hmm. and uh as for the bosses do you have anything on the bosses the, the first four those bosses i think are pretty fun um for me though i'm i'm less of a combat type of player i don't play shooters or anything like that so for me it was you know, I don't. I wouldn't ever replay the bosses just to have fun. It was something I had to get through, and I really enjoyed getting through that challenge and being like, ah, I did that. Um, I have the DLC right now, and I never <laughs> beat it. For for the any audience who hasn't played it, part of the DLC is that you replay the bosses, right? Yes, you replay the bosses given only the equipment that the champion had. So yeah. if you're going into the water blight fight the the mirage or whatever it is the memory of the water blight fight all you have is a spear i think you get a bow and some frost arrows that one's arrow. fucked it's <laughs> it's tough no that that fight wasn't too bad you can deflect the the spear with your shield and using a lot of cryonis and stuff i remember um, that one. i wasn't good at it when i actually that boss fight is when i got good at deflecting because you have to <laughs> but so i've done everything in the dlc except for fight thunder blight ganon because I I just don't look forward to it. I need, <laughs> to be able to do that, I need to be in a headspace where I'm ready to sit down for hours and just bang my head against the wall trying to beat this You're going to get yourself in that mindset one day, and you're going to go to do it, and it's going to take you like 20 minutes, and you're like, oh, that was oh, a lot sure. easier than I would have remembered. <laughs> but, you know, you got to get through that, because there is the fifth dungeon you get to. Oh, I think yeah. you get that afterward. It's the same thing as all the other dungeons. I hate to say that. All of the dungeons are the same, and all the shrines honestly feel the same. I mean, there's the tests of strength that get pretty annoying, but I mean, as far great as the farming stuff, oh yeah, one hundred percent getting materials, ancient parts, all that. It's great, and I mean, you get your health and stamina through doing the shrines. Um, but I'd say really that stuff kind of dampens the experience in the sense that it all kind of mm -hmm. feels samey between the dungeons and the shrines and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but the one thing we haven't touched on yet is when you do finish all the divine beasts and you go to the castle. And that, to me, um, I'd say once you get to the castle, there's there's really two parts of it. Like any good Zelda game, there's the castle itself is almost like a fifth dungeon, and it's just a gauntlet to try and get up to the top. And then once you're at the top, you know you have your final boss battle with Ganon. So I, I'm guessing we want to talk about getting through the castle first. Oh, yeah. So most people, when they go to the castle... They take it smart and, you know, do what logical people do. They go to the front door, you do your magnesis to get through, and you walk up that path, that dreaded path mm -hmm. with the lionels on it, who you've probably faced and taken care of a couple times. Yep. It doesn't mean they're easy, but it's something you can do. And I went back and did that, actually, but my first time... <laughs> I used cryonis blocks to cross the moat and got in the back, and I think I accidentally stumbled into the room where you get the Hylian shield, and I attempted to scale the whole castle, and I'm, like, hiding in corners, deflecting guardian lasers, and I eventually do get to the top, and I did not experience the castle at all the first time that at I all. remember. Yeah, so what was your what was your first castle experience? I So at first, I tried to do it like you. I came in from the back. I was like, no way I'm going through the front gates. I'm <laughs> I'm here to have a fun time, not a hard time. Um, but I only got maybe halfway up the castle, and I just, I just couldn't sneak it up like you did. So that's about halfway up is when I just finally went on the path and went all the way up. I got lost for a while, I'll be honest. I kept turning around. <laughs> um, but, oh... Eventually, I got into the library room. I oh, love that. Yes. That's one place I still go back to sometimes just to mess around, um, even after beating the final boss. And there's that secret room with yeah. the king's diary. The, the, the whole castle is designed immaculately. There are areas that are nearly untouched by the whole calamity scourge that happened before in the past. And it's just like looking at... Essentially, it's looking into the past of these the lives of the people of the castle the royal guards and zelda the king even parts of the queen i believe i could be wrong about that there's the whole thing with zelda's Probably. power it's all really well i mean everything in this game is well designed it's all fun to explore the only gripe i have is with the shrines and the dungeons but with the castle there are so many little areas like that there's a little boat dock in the back i don't know if you've ever found that 
There's a secret shrine oh, yeah. back there. That's really this cool. The little mine thing. The little mine shaft, the dungeons, it, and then there's the actual castle itself. It's all so cool. There's a barracks. You're truly exploring a castle. Yeah. And, and I've finally gotten to a point where I can parry all the, the robot lasers. Mm -hmm. you know, so they're pretty easy to take care of. So now the castle is totally opened up, and it's so fun to go explore. You know, guardians are no big deal, so I can focus on just looking at all the details. The visual storytelling in this game is incredible. Um, probably some of Nintendo's best work is if you pay enough attention, you really can get a sense of what had happened in the past, you know, what life was like for a lot of people just by observing what they have down there. It's just amazing attention to detail. Yeah, that reminds me, there's also that whole banquet hall area where you see the little cooking pot in the corner and you can mm -hmm. find some recipe books. There's actually a quest to go find the recipe books from the castle in there. And it's, like you're saying with the visual storytelling, there's just something around every corner that tells you a little something else. I mean, I remember watching a video, I think it was probably a Zeltic video a while back, about some of, some burned ruins with a wizrobe, a fire wizrobe, on the side of some mountain, and it he tells you the whole story behind it based on nothing other than the visual storytelling of mm -hmm. that area. And it's just every corner of the world has a little something like that to tell you, hey, th there was something here. If they, we, we want to continue down this little visual storytelling tangent. I think it's good. Yeah, um, we can we can keep diving down this. The, the Akala Tower. Do you remember oh, that? I, really, I love the Akala so Tower. So the Akala region, I think, is the most northeastern part of the yep. map, right? Yep. And as you first enter it, there's this huge ruined tower. It almost feels like it should be another dungeon. I mean, yeah, if you're like me and you're just walking up that way, you see, ooh, cool tower, and you immediately turn in. Yeah. There's, there's a whole gorge, a bridge, all that fun stuff leading up to it. It's It has, in, um, it has a lot more ruin and remains of battles than most other places, so it immediately stands out. Mm-hmm. And I'll mention Zeltic again. If you're a fan of Zelda, you probably have heard of him. But if you haven't, you got to check out his channel. I mean, right after this. I won't say right now. Right after you're done listening to yeah, this. Yeah, finish listening, please. <laughs> we won't we want um, views. <laughs> he did a fantastic video on the Akala Tower and how when you walk around, especially if you look at the cannons and where they're pointed at, you can, you can kind of use some sleuthing and detective skills to paint a picture of what this final battle looked like between Ganon's forces and the people who got holed up in that tower. And if I remember right, the story is that a lot of people from Akala went to the tower for safety, and the soldiers had to have this kind of last stand that mm -hmm. ended up not working out. Yeah, I mean, you, you go in the area, it's littered with guardians both decaying and still roaming. It's truly, you get an idea that there was some, something went down there, and I'm not going to spoil Age of Calamity, that's a little bit newer, we'll probably get to that sometime down the line. Have you played Age of Calamity yet? No, I haven't. In Age of Calamity, the whole thing is kind of a time warp, you're trying to fix the timeline or whatever it is, but there is a section where you are in the battle for Akala Tower. And oh wait, is... so that whole theory was confirmed? Yes, I, yes. I no, there, there's moblins, oh there's all sorts of bosses in there. It is truly impressive. It's the chaos in that area. I mean, and the fact that we could get the idea of exactly what happened and then got to live through it with the sort of... Oh, excuse me. With the sort of warrior... Bleh, I can't talk. With the sort of warrior-style prequel there was just amazing. And I mean, I couldn't think of a better style for something like that. Just, just button-mashing and killing everything in your sight it's it's really something else fun yeah, yeah when i first saw gameplay for those games i my my immediate thought was eh, that's not my kind of game but the more i hear about it the more i'm thinking i really need to get those and play them i had that same thought i got a text from my i was working that day i got a text from my uncle that says nintendo announced a uh the, a breath of the wild prequel coming out in like a month because it was a quick turnaround i believe mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my god, I gotta stop. I went into my work truck, and I was watching the video. I'm like, oh, it's not really a true prequel. And I kind of told him all that, and he's like, oh, that's lame. And I'm like, yeah, but the story element is kind of like, maybe I'm going to get it. And sure enough, my lovely fiance bought that for me for Christmas. And I think I beat it in like three days. Just, just <laughs> I put like 15, 20 hours in it in three days, and it was truly impressive. There's, I still want to go back and really finish it. Because there's a lot I haven't done yet, but it's 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 an experience. We'll get into that another episode. Though. Yeah. <laughs> so I can say that 
that'll be the end of our little visual storytelling tangent. I think we should get back to the story because now we're right at the end. Yeah, the story story. So yeah, we're in that final boss fight and you get the sense of like suspense. It's about to go down, as Kevin Hart would say. You're walking up into the castle, the sanctum, I believe it's called. At and the very top. Yes, the very top of the castle. You worked your way through this essentially dungeon to get to the end and you can look down and see the whole area, the whole world around you. And then you walk in on the cutscene where he breaks out of essentially an egg sack and you're falling into the basement of the castle is just that honestly it's some of the more graphically impressive work nintendo has done i mean mm -hmm. this is a game from shoot six years ago now five years ago Gosh, something like I that think about that yeah it makes me feel old but uh <laughs> but it was truly impressive for a nintendo game at that time to have any kind of cut and we'd seen it before in this this story but like it's just so impressive and then you fall down there and there's a monster 20 times more than that probably a hundred times the size of you ready to feast on you mm -hmm. he's got all fused powers of all the other bosses you had to fight and he's ready to kill you but with your experiences you're as prepared as you're going to get for this fight and it's some it's honestly i'd say it's a master class of the combat at least the calamity ganon, ganon yeah. phase it's a little bit of everything. You get your runes, you get your just hack and slash. There's a lot of benefits to knowing the flurry rushes and the parries, but it's it's just a really well put together boss fight that kind of encapsulates combat within this game. Although I have to criticize the second half. At least for me personally, it something about it, it didn't feel long enough or there wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. it, for those of you who don't know, the final boss is in two parts. You fall down that chamber and fight the first part where it's Calamity Ganon. Ganon Calamity yes. Ganon. But like any other Zelda game, you beat him there, and then he transforms into his pure... Uh, yeah, the like whole cutscene, Zelda's saying like, oh, he's giving up on reincarnating. He's doing one last <laughs> stance to try to to try to fight you. <laughs> like the anime stuff. Yeah, and then he's basically just a giant pig made of malice, which is kind of like the poisonous material he spread all over mm -hmm. the land it, that second part is the complete opposite of the first part where it felt like you had to earn your way through the fight and use all the skills you learned this part's essentially just riding on a horse and shooting glowing spots and if, <laughs> if you had experience riding the horse in the game before this fight then really it's a lot like a um uh it's almost like it? the side section yeah it's almost like a cutscene, really mm -hmm. Or those games where you just have to hit the button to do the thing. Quick time oh, what do they call them? Yeah, the, the uh, the, 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 I don't, I don't know the term for them, but like Tales from the Borderlands, where it's like telling you a story and oh, you're about to get hit. Press A to counter it. And yeah, it, that's that's kind of what that feels. The, like. the difficulty curve just took a nosedive for that second part. You're mm -hmm. just really getting through it to to finish up the story. Yes, and speaking of finishing up the story, there is a quote unquote true ending. Um, when you first go to, if you first go to Kakariko after leaving the plateau or at any point, Impa gives you a quest to essentially restore your memory, and that's going throughout the world to spots mm -hmm. that are in the past you went to, and they're essentially like the cutscenes of your memories, and it's really impressive stuff, but basically the whole thing is Zelda comes down, seals the Divine Beast with her magical sealing power, and then she asks if you remember her. If you got all the memories, she gives you another cutscene. Um, but if you didn't, it just that credits roll. End of the game. But if you did, it's the whole thing where you guys are spending time together and it's like Link's not talking and she's like, oh, look at this, look at this. Everything's fine in the world. And then there's the whole silent princess tails off to the credits and that's really impressive. But as far as alternate endings go, I think they could have gone about giving that to you a different way. Yeah. So yeah, that is, that's the whole story with a little bit of um, commentary and opinions uh, sprinkled in. One thing I would love to talk about regarding this game mm -hmm. is, is Breath of the Wild outside of just the game itself. This game was huge um, when it came out, you know, regarded as one of the best games of all time. And I think enough time has passed to where we've seen its effects ripple through other games a lot yes. like ocarina of time back in the day yeah i mean you look nowadays people are talking about how elden ring is the best version of breath of the wild and i mean it's mm -hmm. been six years that project had not been started 
until after the game. I mean, lots of games have taken inspiration from it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's become a cheesy joke at this point of a character looking onto a giant open world. I mean, Sonic Frontiers is coming out later <laughs> this year. That That's was hilarious. Right. Uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, that was another fun one. Yep. Um, yeah, basically a character looking onto an open world came from Breath of the Wild, and now the whole genre has really been taken by storm. Because before this, I mean, Skyrim was the closest thing to an open world, would you say? Yeah, and that, I think it did pretty good, but it um, it was just janky at some points. Or there's some areas you walk to, and it's obvious that it just exists to, to be there. You know, they're like, oh, we need to... Put you know, a cave here, yeah, <laughs> and and that and the loading times kind of make the whole world feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. With Breath of the Wild, the only loading you get is for cutscenes, I believe, and for fast travel. But and the fast, fast travel, travel yeah. is pretty fast; it's not that bad. Yeah, especially um, for the Switch. I gotta say, whoop, there you go. <laughs> I gotta say, Elden Ring, I think, really did improve upon the um, upon Zelda's open world, but it stands on the shoulder. Uh, shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like it wouldn't be wild without. Yeah, it really laid the foundation for these more improved open world experiences. Um, I have I have no clue how long it will be until our open world fever will subside. But I feel like now and probably at least for the next few years, that's all it's about. That's all it has mm -hmm. been for a few years too. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Zelda team that gives us a linear adventure and. Six, seven, eight years, whenever it may be, and we're all oh, like, yeah. "Oh, why'd we ever get off of linear games? These are so cool! <laughs> Just a quick story, bang, bang." And like, oh. I mean, granted, linear games—they still have their place in the modern gaming landscape, but they're never like the biggest and best experiences you can have because these other open world games you can sink hundreds, if not thousands, of hours into are out there. I mean, yeah. And Breath of the Wild was the first one, like we're saying. I mean, it truly revolutionized the gaming industry as a whole if you want to go that far i mean there was nothing like it and now there's lots like it yeah uh, one thing i love to think about um is how this game was for a younger audience i only ever got to experience it right at the end of my teenage years at the end of my childhood um but to me it felt like it was more geared towards an older audience compared to the older zelda games but I'm certain that there's plenty of kids who played it. So I'm always curious about what it's going to be like years down the road when we have our crop of teens on the internet super nostalgic for <laughs> a while. We yeah. had that Ocarina of Time. I think people my age now are really loud about how much we love Wind Waker. Yes. 100%. And Skyward Sword is more and more people are singing its praises because they grew up with it. And the HD remaster came out middle of last oh, year. That's and that right. kind of spiced up some talks about that. Mm -hmm. I feel like Twilight Princess is going to come next. It had its re-release on Wii U, which I think may have honestly buried it, but that was a great game as well. But, I mean, personally, going back to what you were saying about Breath of the Wild for children, I am still a child. I mean, I'm 22, yeah. but... Yeah, we're still kids. <laughs> but when I say... I'm thinking like... Um, You're thinking like a six-year-old with six their first game. Yeah. yeah. My first game was actually Wind Waker. I was gift... I mean, I had Game Boy Advance and, you know, all the chip tunes and cool sprites and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But my first console was the GameCube. I got one controller, no memory card, and The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. So you had to play the first level? Oh my over. god, I could do the Forsaken Fortress when I was six. Actually, I think I was like four or five. I could do it like, I, I was good at the Forsaken Fortress and the pirate ship. For me, it took, I was so young when I started playing Wind Waker because my older brother mm -hmm. um, had all those games. Uh, it took me over a year to get off the first island because <laughs> I would just sit and run around the island for a good hour and little kid me, that's all I wanted to do. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Little kid you is okay with just running around and doing you something know in so, some same spot. And if you're yeah. given this massive open world to just kind of run around in, it's got to be the most thrilling experience you could possibly ask for. So I'm wondering if an experience for a younger kid would be just running around the Great Plateau. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean... I don't know if you're familiar with the Twitch world, but there's a streamer who does a lot of Breath of the Wild, Point Crow. Mm -hmm. He has a story yeah. about how he got Pokemon Leaf Green or Fire Red or one of those. I'm not sure. The best ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually played the GBA D-Makes for every game that came after that. It's kind of funny. But he tells a story about how when he was a kid, he would just fight with his... Charmander, who evolved into Charmeleon, who evolved into Charmander, no, Charizard. Charizard. 
just in that first area. <laughs> and somebody told him, like, hey, you know that there's, like, a whole thing you can do, a whole adventure. And he's like, oh, no way. He had a level 70 Charizard, and he was just mowing through everything. He was, like, six. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. They're kids with these open world games. They're not necessarily going to have that because they just went out and did stuff. And they always got mm -hmm. rewarded for just going out and doing stuff. Whereas me and you with Wind Waker... We just kind of ran around the same island cutting grass, hitting pigs and stuff well, like there's, that. There's such a hard line in those earlier games between your first area and the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. To where as a kid, there was even times where I was too young to even understand how to get out of that first area. But yeah, once, once you learn kid, about the dots on the maps is when that really changes. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I, that must be the same for a kid. It would be hard for a real little kid to go through all the dungeons and understand that he needs to beat all that. Probably terrified of the goblins and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that, that I could see a, a young kid having a great time just running around the plateau yeah. like we were talking earlier. It's just such a great little bite-sized portion of the game. And then they find out there's a whole massive world around them. When they jump off the plateau, you don't just instantly die like they probably have. I, that's got to be an amazing experience, and I wish I could go through it as a youth, a wee yeah. lad. Getting off the plateaus for big boys only. Oh, yeah. And girls. Anyone yes. can play. Yeah, yeah, no. I believe Avery dabbled in this game. She didn't really care for it, but she doesn't care for most games. No, no problems with that. <laughs> she, It's not her thing. I'm not going to fault her for that. But, yeah, no, it's, it's something that anybody can have a great time with because there's so many different ways to play this game. Um... Are there any other topics that you really want to talk about with Breath of the Wild? Um, I would like to kind of touch on the enemies and the enemy variety. It's something that over time has fallen under scrutiny. I mean, you essentially have your yes. you have your Bacoblins, Moblins, Lizalfos, your Hinoxes, the stall variations of any everything, the Lynels, and then some of the bosses. I'm probably missing something. There's the Choo Choo's and the Keese and all that, mm -hmm. but. I think the enemy design in this game is very good, and I'm not one to fault them for repetition because the enemies that are in the game are so fun to fight. Like, when I see a Lionel nowadays that I'm playing on my save file, I have hundreds of hours in, I'm like, oh, cool, I get to fight a Lionel, and it's like I'm looking forward to running up to this enemy yeah. and just kicking its ass. <laughs> I, I will say, and I don't know why I'm the one who... Not I'm the one. I always keep bringing up criticisms. I don't have very many, though. I I'll assure you that any all the criticisms I've said on this episode are, like, the only ones I've I think had. it's fair to say we both love this game. Yeah. Um, but the to me, I think the enemies got a little bit repetitive because there wasn't enough enemy by region. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter where in the game you went, there's going to be Bacoblins, Lizalfos, um, some Moblins, a Wizrobe here and there. Wizrobes here and there, Lionels. And the only difference is, depending on the region, they might have a different element to yes, it. Yes, you've got your, your lightning in the desert, your ice in the bird region, the snow region, fire yeah. in Death Mountain, and then, essentially, I think it's just the normal ones in the Zora domain. Whereas in other games, if you go to a different area, you're going to encounter completely different types of enemies. So their enemies are kind of locked behind different regions. I actually like that compared to Breath of the Wild, where mm -hmm. it's just the same cast of enemies in every place. So, I mean, we keep jumping back to Wind Waker. It's just mm -hmm. a game we're both very familiar with. Like, in Wind Waker, you go to Dragon Roost Cavern, and that's the first dungeon, so you're essentially fighting some of the basic enemies, but there are the Magtails there, and then you go to the Forest Haven, and that's your first experience with the Bokababas and the yeah. uh, P-Hats and all that fun stuff. And then, I mean, you make it into... Um, blanking tower of the gods and you're getting all these like armos and Themos and all that stuff and it's like the farther you go the more enemy variation you get and that's yeah. what you're saying you may say that is definitely a fault of this game but i imagine with how this game is set up it would be hard to have such a big cast of enemies because each enemy is so unique and there's so much personality uh like the bacoblins it, it's funny just sit back and watch their cast yeah. <laughs> i could just sit and watch them for a good five or ten minutes because they're always up to something funny yeah i mean they'll light each other i don't know they don't actually light each other on fire but they'll like they'll do some and it's that same thing you're talking about with the physics engine earlier they interact with everything around them yeah if a wild deer stumbles into a bokoblin encampment they're like oh we gotta go get that deer and sometimes they do sometimes they don't but mm -hmm. it's it's kind of comical to watch and i mean 
it's just one of those things where I think if they were to add more enemies, they would have had to put in more work to make everything around the world fit in. One of my favorite things to do is there's some enemy encampments where there's the beehives above them. If you shoot at the beehive, they get oh, yeah. chased by the bees. It's just unless really cool stuff unless like Unless you're that. too close. Yeah. Chasing you. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that happened to me. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. That's what I love about the physics engine is that you don't have to input anything and you can see stuff happen. There's so mm -hmm. many video games where the only way anything will happen is if you make it happen. And sometimes, to me, that makes it feel mm -hmm. a little bit lonelier. Um, I don't know. Every once in a while, I just like to turn my brain off, put on Breath of the Wild, and, and just watch what happens. And that it's everything so... just makes sense. Yeah, like, you so see organic. something that should happen, and it happens. It's not like when you're in the Earth Temple in Wind Waker, again, going back to Wind Waker, and you see something that needs to be lit up, but there's a window with light coming through right next to it, and you're like, okay, come on, is that not enough natural lighting? I have to go to where the light's poking through and shine it onto the thing with my mirror shield. I might I might be pulling this out of my ass, but if I remember right, there was um, some interview I saw where the developers were talking about how there were even interactions that surprised them because of how robust the system is. And it's, it's just one of those things. Everything works with everything. When they put this next to this, they're like, oh, that works. Because mm -hmm. everything interacts with everything, and they kind of don't think about, oh, what if you put bacoblins next to bees? Same same kind of concept there, but yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just so cool. I mean... Another thing I did want to touch on moving past the enemies is just the NPCs and how every character in this expansive world, whether or not everywhere there are areas where there's no NPCs for what seems like a mile, but everyone you can stumble onto onto the paths in any of the towns, they all have their own personality. It's impressive. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you go into... What's the first one I'm thinking of? Um... You, the first one I remember, I told you guys, I went to the desert area first. I'm walking on that path, and there's a Hylian there who's telling you all about, like, oh, I'm touring the whole world, and then you yeah. see her when you get into Gerudo Town, and she's the only one who sees through your disguise. Well, her and I believe the Gorongs that are there later. <laughs> but they get to the point where it's like, oh, she made it here, and then you go to some of the other areas, and she's there as well, and it's like, oh, this lady's traveling the world just like me. I mean, there's some other examples. I mean, the shopkeeps are all witty and well-written. Mm -hmm. And then some of the soldiers around the outsides of these towns. It's just all good. And there's the one NPC, this is sticking out in my head for some reason, in Zora's Domain, who wants to be the hero. But the whole thing is you need shock arrows to kill the Lionel for some reason, even though you don't. He's trying to basically build up a resistance to shock by repeatedly shocking himself. And he's just there no matter when you go there, touching a shock arrow and getting zapped because, you know, fish can't touch the electricity. And it's just, there's so many, it's that same thing with the Bacoblins interacting with everything. You can just sit back and watch the NPCs oh, and they're going to do something. My favorite NPC, uh, you meet him at a stable just a little bit uh, west of the starting area, uh, northwest. He claims to be his own hero of time and he has the master <laughs> torch do you remember him I, I believe that i do yeah i i don't remember what happens if you bring the master sword i know he's like trying to train on something can you chop whatever he's training on with the master sword to like shut him up i don't know i can't remember but i wouldn't be surprised if there was i'm gonna i need to hop back that. on and see he there's got to be something if you i'm just warning you i hopped on breath of the wild a little while earlier to record footage for the youtube portion of this podcast mm -hmm. and i was just going through the game and i'm like oh my god it's already been an hour and 15 minutes i gotta get off i, I got dinner waiting for me i gotta go <laughs> but it, it's just a game that kind of it's just like oh just five more minutes all the time yeah and it's it's so much fun to pick up and play it's well so if we want to keep this episode to an hour, we have about about five minutes left. One thing I would love to talk about before we end it off is the sequel. It hasn't come out yet, but I am so hyped for it. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started. I've already, I haven't pre-ordered. I don't pre-order games. I don't believe in it. That's just personal opinion. Mm -hmm. But the day it comes out, I have already negotiated with my fiance. I am getting this game the day it comes out. 
and I am going to lock myself in a room. I'm going to play it <laughs> until I am satisfied. I'm just, I'm so excited for it. And the fact that they are making everything work with the engines, obviously taking some time, hence the delays. But I have no doubt that this game is going to be a masterpiece. And I know that they at Nintendo obviously hear all the concerns and everything we say. I have a feeling we're going to get full dungeons. This could be old takes exposed and eight months or whenever the game comes out. But I have very high hopes for this sequel. I do too. It's... Uh, I feel like, just like when they were making Majora's Mask after Ocarina of Time, there has to be some kind of pressure to follow up. You know, it's... Breath of the Wild is such an incredible game. You know, change the the landscape of gaming for the next few years after it came out. And now they have to try and make something that people are expecting to be even better. <laughs> I can't imagine that pressure. Yeah. But they've pulled it off a few times already. And you know what? Any decision the Zelda team makes, you know, like when they did Wind Waker, they went with that cartoony look and everyone panned it, but now we look back fondly because that was such a great decision. And I mean, you look at a game like Resident Evil 4 and those graphics on the GameCube, it's like, oh, maybe they didn't yeah, make no. the right choice with the uh, cell shading. So whatever happens, I really trust the Zelda team to make the right decision oh, and 100%. To, to, to make a game that I'm going to be happy with. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, with this sequel, I really hope that they fix all the concerns we have. I don't think we're going to get a whole bunch of new enemy variety or the enemies by areas kind of deal. Mm -mm. Um, but I do think we will get a few more. I think we're going to get those traditional dungeons. Do you have any other uh, bold predictions or hot takes? Those predictions weren't Ooh. bold. Those were just things I think are going to happen. Bold predictions. Let's talk about story predictions. Oh. I've... I haven't thought about that recently, so anything I say is literally off the top of my head. Um, I feel like it would be interesting for me if they used this sequel to really wrap up this specific Zelda story. Like, what if Link or Zelda has to sacrifice themselves at the end <laughs> or something? That would be, I think that'd be pretty interesting it'd be a bold decision but i don't think it's they haven't done anything like that before have they yeah that decision's so bold i don't think any team <laughs> at nintendo would make it but i mean we've seen I would love other see crazy it. stuff maybe not like up to that extent but i can see what you're saying i do think that this is going to be the end for this link in this zelda mm -hmm. i don't think we're gonna get a third game i mean well we have the prequel air quotes there but yeah. uh I don't think we're going to get another game with these two characters. We might get another one with this engine because they put so much time and effort into it. I mean, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and Skyward Sword all run on the same engine. But, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they actually do. I mean, the same some of the same glitches protrude into each of the games because it is that same <laughs> engine you can exploit. But I have a feeling that they are going to tie this story to an end. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the YouTube Zelda theorists and their whole concepts mm -hmm. of, oh, Ganon's gonna come back, and all oh, the floating islands in the sky are gonna have actual dungeons on it and caves underground. Honestly, my hope is just that the world on the surface essentially stays the same, and they added two new worlds in the sky and underground oh. to it with their own dungeons and everything like That'd that. That'd be beautiful. And I think that the descendants of the champions we see in the first game are going to play a big role in the sequel. Although I could be completely wrong, of course. <laughs> I, I could sum up my hopes and expectations for this new game pretty concisely with just two things. More dungeons, more Zelda. More Zelda? Yeah. You, are, you, are you thinking what some people on the internet have called a playable Zelda? I don't know about a playable Zelda. I really don't. But ba just based on the trailers... I'm really hoping that she's more involved in the game. And if she's not, then I've been let down just by how much they've been featuring her in these cutscenes that they've put out. And that one thing that kind of keeps that at bay is that she did fall and slip away from Link. And I think the first teaser trailer at E3, was mm -hmm. that 19 or 20? I, don't I, know. I bet she falls and slips and Link uses his new power to get her. And that's <laughs> how he realizes he has a new power. So you're saying it's a late game cutscene or early. No, early game. Sees, I okay. bet it's, she slipped. He's like, oh my gosh. And then I can't reach you. <laughs> Stretchy arm hand. <laughs> he gets her and he's like, ah, shiz. And then the new game mechanic. Yeah, I mean, I could see them doing some. I don't think we'll get a full playable Zelda. I highly doubt we ever will. Yeah, I don't something think so seriously either. changes where you can pick like a Link or a Zelda, something like that. that what awesome. I could see is something like what they did in Phantom Hourglass, where Zelda is essentially your companion character. I don't know if you did you ever play the DS Zelda games? 
No, but I get the idea of the companion characters. So, essentially, Zelda dies in that game, but her mm -hmm. ghost follows you around and can possess things, and you technically get to play as Zelda by controlling the things she's possessing at times, and that's a cool concept. But I think that's about the farthest they're willing to reach as far as more Zelda goes. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you have any other thoughts, anything you want to get out there about either Breath of the Wild or its upcoming sequel? Not off the top of my head, but I tell you, if you give me enough time, I could think and talk about Breath of the Wild all day long. Oh, we could I ramble really on could. for hours, but I don't think anybody wants to listen to us for more than an hour. So that's why we are going to have to wrap up this first edition of the Analog Stick Podcast. Cody, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this first ever episode. Please uh, subscribe or follow or rate, review, whatever it might be. Engage, engage. <laughs> Bake those algorithms as much as you possibly can. Yes, We're going to need it. But yeah, thank you guys for this. We're going to sign off, and hopefully we will see you next week. Bye-bye.